Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvests are plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and to send out laborers into his harvest. Thank you, Olivia, for reading today's passage. In the previous verses, Jesus encountered two blind men. They could not see. We also found Pharisees who had physical sight, but they did not see spiritually. What do we see? Our youngest daughter was born with lots of energy, but she suffered from acute strabismus. She was cross-eyed. The muscles around her eyes were not working together. So at six months, she underwent surgery. For a few days after surgery, she just sat quietly in her chair, observing everything around her. Her world had changed. She was seeing more clearly. Do we see clearly? What did we see this week as we rode buses and sky trains, walked through grocery stores and shopping malls, went to school and work? Did we see what Jesus saw? Let's observe Jesus. Verse 35, Matthew 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Three verbs summarize Jesus' ministry. Teach, proclaim, and heal. He teaches in the synagogues, proclaims the good news of the kingdom of heaven, teaches his disciples what it means to follow him, and he heals. In Matthew chapters 8 and 9, Jesus heals lepers, paralytics, blind people, fevers, the mute, and raises the dead. He expels demons from two men who are so violent no one can pass by. He interacts with religious leaders, sinners, uh, tax collectors. As Jesus goes about, he ministers to people. The sick need a doctor. But there is resistance. There is opposition from the demonic realm and from the religious establishment. After all of his teaching, preaching, and healing in the power of the Spirit, even though they cannot deny his miraculous works, the religious leaders say in verse 34, You cast out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus is actually accused of being demonized. Why? Well, there's a battle raging for the people of Galilee and beyond. We should not be surprised by the resistance Jesus experiences. The region is described in this way in chapter 4, verse 16. Those dwelling in darkness, those dwelling in the region and shadow of death. Jesus faces resistance from his environment, his family, his hometown, and the religious culture, and is opposed by the spiritual realm. On one occasion, I was driving through a neighborhood on the outskirts of Sao Paulo, Brazil. It was hot. My window was down. A woman was selling lemons on the street corner. Suddenly she turned and screamed at me, Get out of here, pastor! Go home, pastor! I had never seen her before. If we're on mission with Jesus, we will face resistance. Wherever the reality of the kingdom of heaven is present, there will be opposition because Jesus' mission is an invasion of Satan's strongholds. How do we see Metro Vancouver? 
Cities, they maximize human potential for both good and evil. The city is always a battlefield. We see the good. Schools and hospitals and neighborhoods, jobs, sports clubs and churches. We also see evil. Education that removes God from the curriculum. Drug trafficking, sex trade, political corruption, economic disparity, racism, gangs. We see graphic evidence of this battle between good and evil in the kidnapping of 17 Mennonite missionaries in Haiti just a number of weeks ago. They're now being held for millions of dollars in ransom payments. Two weeks ago, the leader of the Haitian gang threatened to kill all of them. They were doing nothing more than building an orphanage. Mennonite churches are now praying for the missionaries 24-7 around the clock. A battle. Why would there be a battle for Metro Vancouver? Because people live here. Metro Vancouver is home to an estimated 2.6 million people from all over the world. It's a global city of influence. It's a center of political and economic influence, of communication and scientific research, of education where hearts and minds are being shaped, of moral and religious influence. There's great potential for good and evil in our city. What does Jesus do in response to the opposition he faces? He continues to teach, preach, and heal the good work of the kingdom. Our most effective response to those who oppose, criticize, or slander us is to merely keep on doing the right thing, what God has called us to do. In verse 35, we read, Jesus went. Jesus' discipleship ministry happened primarily on the road. He goes throughout all the cities and villages because he loves all people. Jesus is always in movement toward people. He's always active. As we go, we follow Jesus' example. Of the people I have had the joy of leading to Jesus, God has already been at work in their lives long before I got there. On one occasion, I was in a guest house in Kinshasa, the Congolese capital of 17 million. As I packed my bags to leave, preparing to leave for the airport, the guest house administrator came by my room. Dinner's being served, he said. I went down the stairs to the dining room. A young Congolese man named Mutombo sat to my left. He was working in the mining industry. As we engaged in conversation, he suddenly exclaimed, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm living under the oppression of evil spirits. He detailed a few experiences. So I just said, Mutombo, you don't have to live under that oppression. What? How can I be free? He asked. I had about 20 minutes before my taxi would leave for the airport. So I took a napkin and I shared with him the grand story of God. And at the center of that story is the coming of Jesus, who through his death and resurrection defeated sin, death, and the powers of evil. Mutombo, I said, you can be set free but you must surrender your life to Jesus. He was eager to pray. So we removed ourselves from the table and found a quiet corner where Mutombo could surrender his life to Jesus. Jesus had gone before me. I was just going to eat supper, but Jesus placed a man beside me who was living under the shadow of death. I left him with the names of my Congolese friends who would be able to help him learn what it would look like for him to follow Jesus. Jesus can tell us to go because he went. John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. 
Jesus never asks us to do anything he's not willing to do or has not done himself. He has already gone to Vancouver, has already gone ahead of us. This is one of the great truths of evangelism. We accompany his work. Mission begins with Jesus, not us. So let's follow Jesus by going. If we're alive, we're already in movement. (laughs) Driving cars, riding buses and SkyTrain cars, going to school and work, walking through the neighborhood. Are we moving from place to place from conversation to conversation, as Jesus would. In Matthew chapter 28, he will say to his disciples, as you are going, make disciples. Jesus, he moved in light of the grand kingdom story that his father was writing. Too often we do not believe in the grand kingdom story that God is writing, so we settle for a very small story, our business story, or our career story, or our romantic love story, a sports team story. But it is precisely when we enter into the grand story that God is writing that we find meaning for our lives. Let's continue to observe Jesus. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds... In the story of the Good Samaritan, we find it in Luke 10, the Samaritan looked and he saw the man half dead fallen beside the road. And he had compassion, same word. The religious leaders who passed by did not stop to look. In the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15, the father saw his son and was filled with compassion, same word. The father saw the lost son because he was constantly looking for him. We tend to see the superficial Clothes, cars, homes, computers. But we seldom actually see people, especially the needy. We live in a mind-your-own-business culture. We're taught to not stare, not notice. But people who are harassed and helpless are broken. Their dreams have been shattered. They need to be seen. Let's follow Jesus by seeing. Jesus saw men, women, and children, tax collectors and sinners, religious and irreligious, intellectuals and fishermen. He saw everyone. When he went to Sychar, a small town in Samaria, he looked. It's John 4. The disciples only saw their stomachs and went to town to find lunch. Jesus saw a Samaritan woman who needed living water. He saw Samaritans who did not know who they were or why they were alive. They didn't know the Father's love. It's in Sychar that Jesus says to his disciples, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Jesus looked at Jerusalem and he wept. He saw people who did not know who their Messiah was. They did not know who they were. Jesus felt compassion for the Jews of the city of Jerusalem. Are we moved by those who do not know Jesus? In the Gospels, Jesus spends about 75% of his ministry time with people who are not yet his disciples. He sees and is moved. Why would we not be moved? Sometimes our neighbor appears at the wrong time. About 10 years ago, I boarded a flight from going from Toronto to Frankfurt. I was really tired. I did not want to see the person sitting beside me. just wanted to sleep. I sat in my seat, buckled up, The plane took off, and I was falling asleep. And that's when I made a mistake. I opened my eyes as the evening meal was being served. It looked good. As I ate, the man beside me started to talk. 
Heinz was born in Berlin. During World War II, he stole food to stay alive. He survived. He moved to Argentina to start a new life. Then I made a second mistake. I told him I had lived in Brazil. He told me all about his business deals that he had done in Brazil. Now I knew that I would not sleep for a while. Stories about South America transitioned easily into the story of his move to Canada, business deals in Canada, his marriage, his family. And then he said, but two months ago, everything changed. Two months ago, my wife passed away. Eight weeks earlier, she had been diagnosed with cancer. Now I'm alone, he said. I have no idea why I'm alive. My life has no meaning. I shared with him my wife's journey with cancer. We talked a bit more about the meaning of life. I mentioned Jesus. Oh, not Jesus, he dismissively replied. This opened a a new chapter about his religious experience and his anger toward the church. We talked through the night. As we approached Europe, the sun was rising. Heinz was looking out the window. He began to smile and he said, Oh, a scene that beautiful, there must be a God. Ray, I think God placed you here today. And I encouraged him to open his heart to Jesus. I prayed for him. Often we're not moved because we do not see. What does Jesus see when he looks at the 2.6 million people in Metro Vancouver? When Jesus saw the crowds of his day, he had compassion. This word compassion, it's it's a visceral word, a gut-level word, going deep into the seat of our emotions. In English, we would say, to have your stomach tied into a knot. What ties your stomach into a knot? Is it a final exam at school, a pink slip from an employer, a biopsy analysis, someone trying to undermine you, some malicious gossip behind your back, the annual review at work, someone enticing your boyfriend or girlfriend, or the most recent stock market report showing losses? What tied Jesus' stomach into a knot? People. People who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here are two words that describe our reality today. The word harassed means worried, anxious, distressed, troubled, bewildered, oppressed, lacking direction. In our language, mental and emotional distress. The word helpless refers to people who are cast down. They cannot get up by themselves, cannot rescue themselves or or escape their tormentors. They are mentally and emotionally exhausted. When Jesus saw them, he had compassion for them. He was deeply moved when he saw people who were suffering spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and physically. He wanted to embrace, love, serve, care for, and shepherd. Seeing the loss should make us weep. And not only weep, but act. In the Gospel of Matthew, compassion entails not only sympathy, but radical action. Not just a a fleeting emotion, but committed, caring action. The best antidote to the influence of evil in the city is love. As a church family, we must be a compassionate presence in Metro Vancouver. So let's follow Jesus by loving. What should we do? Jesus' words may surprise us. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What do we see here? Firstly, the problem is not the harvest. 
In Jesus' day, the world population was around 250 million, and there was a lack of workers. Today, there are over 7.87 billion people on earth. The harvest is plentiful, meaning that people are ready for the good news. The harvest is ready for gathering. But most are dying without the great physician. Secondly, we should take note of what Jesus tells his disciples to do. The harvest is plentiful, therefore take an offering. The harvest is plentiful, it's amazing, therefore form a mission committee. The harvest is ripe, therefore do some strategic long-range planning. The harvest is plentiful, therefore work harder, feel more guilty. No. Jesus says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. To pray earnestly is to ask, beg, plead. Jesus talks about something all of us can do. Ask the one in charge of the harvest to raise up workers for Metro Vancouver and all the cities around the world. There's a ripe, unreaped harvest. 97% of the people you will pass by in Canada do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. When a census is taken in Canada today, 7 to 8% identify themselves as evangelical, people who confess Jesus as Savior. But in actuality, 3 to 4% attend church in person or online. And Jesus would say, the problem is not the harvest. It's plentiful. So get on your knees and pray. The harvest is plentiful in the most unusual places, even in the centers of other religious faiths. About 15 years ago, I was in India with our second daughter, Alana. We took the train from Delhi to Amritsar to see the Golden Temple. We were living in Abbotsford at the time, surrounded by Punjabi neighbors, so we wanted to see the religious center of the Sikh faith. Inside the temple complex, we took the walkway across the pool to the Golden Temple sitting at the center. As we walked through the temple, priests were reading their holy books, some were singing. Leaving the temple, we returned to the walkway, crossed the pooled area. Alana whispered to me, Dad, it is so cold and empty. These people need Jesus. I encouraged her to pray. As soon as we left the walkway, a young Punjabi man approached me. Why are you here? he inquired. I explained that we were followers of Jesus, but we had come to grow in our understanding of Sikhism. Oh, he replied. Yesterday, I watched a movie about the life of Jesus. I have a question. When Jesus was on the cross, how could he forgive his persecutors? That baffles me and amazes me. God had gifted us with an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus at the center of Sikhism. Our Punjabi friend talked about the history of violence and hatred in his region and the absence of forgiveness. I said we can only forgive if we have the love of God in our hearts. I offered him a Bible in Punjabi. To our surprise, he said, someone just gave me a Bible. <laughs> I showed him where he should begin to read about the life of Jesus, and we prayed. The harvest is plentiful. If we are going, we will see. If we see and Jesus is in our hearts, we'll have compassion. If we have true compassion, we will act and we will see that the harvest is ready and we will be driven to our knees. What are we to pray? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, Jesus says. The word send out is ekpalo in Greek. It means to cast out. 
How is the word used? Well, in John 2, Jesus cleanses the temple. He makes a whip and drives out the money changers. Ekbalo. The word is also used for casting out demons. It's a powerful word. When we get down on our knees and pray, something powerful begins to happen. Firstly, our hearts change. We begin to see the world the way Jesus sees it. We become more concerned about the grand story God is writing rather than just thinking about our own little story. So follow Jesus by praying. If we pray, we may very well be the answer to our prayers. What do I mean? Well, in Matthew chapter 10, those sent by Jesus are those who are praying. The disciples become the answer to their own prayers. Jesus makes them what he promised they would become, fishers of men. That's in Matthew 4.19. Most often when we pray, our hearts are the first to be transformed. And then secondly, others will get restless. People will start to move. They will not be able to remain complacent, quiet, or apathetic. They will be stirred by the Spirit. I think the order of this text is significant. When I worked for a mission agency, we would often speak of increasing levels of engagement. Pray, then maybe give, and then maybe go. With that order, most people saw themselves as the ones who would pray and give. Few would go. The order of this text is different. Go, then see, feel compassion, then pray, and then be sent. And when you go, don't be surprised by some resistance. Why might we not go? Well, maybe we won't know what to say. Jesus promises to give us the words. We may feel alone. Jesus promises to be with us. We may face some resistance. Jesus says we will. We can leave it in God's hands. As we are going this week, let's ask Jesus for his eyes. Let's receive his heart of compassion, pray for workers, and then see where God will send people, including us. Let's live expectantly. If we enter the grand story God is writing, not only will it fill our lives with meaning, but we will see God changing the lives of others for eternity. I'm going to leave you with some questions for reflection, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus came and he saw and he loved to the point of giving his life for our redemption. When Jesus is celebrating the Passover for the last time with his disciples prior to his crucifixion, we read this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for being obedient to the Father and going right to the cross. Your body was broken for us. Thank you for taking all our sin upon yourself. We were slaves to sin, and you redeemed us. You bought us back. You forgave our sins. Lord, thank you for saving us by your abundant grace. Thank you for freedom from guilt and shame and fear. We praise you and thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. The body of Christ broken for us. Let's partake together.
We continue to read in Matthew 26, verse 27. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Jesus, through your shed blood, the new covenant was made possible. You reconciled us to the Father. Father, we're now your sons and daughters. Jesus, we're members of your body, the church family. Holy Spirit, you abide in us and among us. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Father, for the gift of eternal life. We are yours now and forever. Jesus, may we follow you each day of our lives. This week, Lord, as we follow you, may our eyes be open to see those around us and to share your love with them. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The cup, the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's partake together. Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 26, verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of, the fruit, of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The day will come when Jesus returns, and he again will lift the cup, and we will drink with him. We will be with him and with all those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. What a day that is going to be. So, as we live this week, as we move around the city, as we look at people, may we see them the way that Jesus sees them. May our hearts be filled with compassion, and may we reach out in love. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. God bless.